I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko here with my twin brother, Josh Motenko, as always. That's right. The better twin. Let's begin. <laughs> and our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, we are three weeks away from opening night of the Boston Celtics 2020-2021 regular season, and I am ready for it. It's all happening. You can find us on Celtics Pride Pod on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe. Today, we are talking about the, the offseason a little bit, just kind of close the loop on some of the things that have happened. And if we have time, we're going to get to a story from Celtics history at the end of the podcast. Uh, but first, we need to update the audience on our wagers. Last podcast, we all agreed uh, to, well, at least Josh and Mike, you guys agreed to a bet Mike, you, you think Tristan Thompson is going to be a become a, a volume three-point shooter in the NBA this volume. I don't, I don't think. I know. Tristan Thompson is going to take, not make, <laughs> but take at least 53s this season in Brad Stevens' open offensive system. Uh, you all saw that video circulating on, on the, the internet of him swishing the, the those corner YMCA threes, swishing video. those corner threes. He's going to be an unstoppable force. Uh, yeah, he was like right arc. hand, swish, <laughs> left hand, swish, That's right. right hand, ambidextrous, swish, left ambidextrous hand, buckets. <laughs> so as you can tell, Josh disagrees. I, for once, agree with Josh. So if uh, Tristan Thompson shoots 40, 53s, then Josh and I are both going to pay him 40 bucks. I won a bet recently and uh, ate some delicious brisket. Thank you both for losing this bet, for betting me that there would not be a champion crowned in the NBA last year. Uh, I'm disappointed it was the Lakers, but I will take the brisket. And I'm going to purchase more and eat some more. Uh, there's a, a beautiful video if you like. Uh, All right. Is this is this a Celtics pod or a brisket pod? Let's, let's go. We don't need to hear your boasts. Congratulations. You won. You were right. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Adam, you guys. post that post that brisket pod on the the Twitter account. And... Oh, it's there's a video oh, on there. He already did. He yeah. already did. <laughs> delicious, delicious looking barbecue from Austin, Texas. All right, you guys. Yeah, who bye. would have thought? Who would have thought that the coronavirus wouldn't win versus the NBA having a championship this year? You know, it seems like coronavirus is winning in every other avenue of our lives. Not when it comes to the NBA. Speaking of coronavirus in the NBA, the NBA is is not going to have a bubble this year. They tested 546. Uh, players in over the last week josh guess what percentage of nba players are positive for coronavirus zero mike i know it's not zero because i know i think it was like two warriors players tested positive i'm gonna go with 12 percent nine percent 46 players 48 players returned positive tests out of 546 this does not bode well as a start for this nba season reactions well the fact yeah, the fact that it's not going to be in a bubble is a whole different dynamic. Um, and we've seen that play out a little bit with uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL. You know, the NFL's got playing games with 
uh, no quarterbacks for one of the teams. They got to bring in someone who like was like <laughs> two two touchdowns, two interceptions in college as a quarterback, but really played a different position. And, and you know, it, it was a kind of a debacle. Um, I don't expect that from the NBA. I think the NBA is kind of the upper echelon of controlling these kinds of environments. But it's not going to be like the bubble where we had zero coronavirus positive tests. No, I I fully agree. I mean, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, uh, you know, we didn't have that that testing statistic in hand at the time. But it's very it's very clear that players are going to test positive. They're going to be held out of games. They're going to miss time. Rosters are going to be affected. Um, it probably puts a team and an organization like the Celtics, like the Miami Heat, you know, some of these organizations that are just really, really, really well run, uh, have high character, disciplined players, coaches, management um, are probably going to be at a real advantage and because they're probably more likely to put themselves in low risk situations kind of in aggregate than some of the uh, more loosely run <laughs> organizations. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a crazy season. I think the winner... And I'm not a scientist, but I'm assuming that because Marcus Smart has already had COVID, that you know he's he's invincible now. Mr. Celtic will be on the floor for us for for all 82 games, in my opinion. There have been cases where people have gotten it more than once, but it's less yeah. likely. Uh, and, yeah, 72 where... games this season. As a reminder, yeah, uh, there we weird, go. Uh, weird, weird old season. I think where people live is going to have an effect too, because um, as we all know that the the kinds of precautions that places are taking depends on where you are. And there's a cultural aspect to it also. Like in Boston, everybody's even went outside wearing a mask. That is not the case in, in a lot of other places in this country. Um, I, I have a problem with this. I, I don't like the fact that this like expect we expect that people are just going to get coronavirus like that, that I, I have a problem with that i don't i don't like the fact that we're just uh taking people's pub health uh that not seriously well i i don't i don't even understand i mean at this point we are a few months away from having the vaccine uh, publicly available. I would not be surprised if that becomes available um, sooner to N some NBA teams than it does yeah. for the broad public. Um, uh, NBA teams are almost certainly going to have access to uh, substantial amounts of kind of rapid testing um, and going to be testing rigorously. Um, and, and, you know, they circulated that one what was it like 140 page um set of protocols which i definitely have not closely read or unclosely read <laughs> um but you know there are going to be very stringent policies and practices in place by the league to have as good a handle on what the the effect of the disease is within the league as possible which is so i don't think it's quite fair to characterize it as saying that they're just like not caring but it yeah it is a reality um that people are are more likely much more likely than not probably to to test positive here uh, but they're not doing it in a way that's like ignoring that fact they're they're going to be putting in place every safety protocol they can, and it it may be a terrible idea. Um, 
I, I guess time see. will bear that out. Yeah. All right. Speaking of player health, we have some news and notes on the players and their health. Uh, Daniel Tice uh, had a minor knee surgery over the uh, off season to remove a loose body. He sounds good to go. New arrival Tristan Thompson apparently has a sore hamstring. He's supposed to be out the first week of training camp, but that does not sound like a big deal. Romy, as Danny Ainge is calling Romeo Langford, is out until February. You will recall that he had wrist surgery to repair a torn tendon, a ligament um, in his right wrist, his shooting hand, the same one that he had a thumb injury and and um, surgery on previously. Uh, this recent wrist surgery was on 922, and at that time he had a four to five month recovery uh, timetable. He apparently is on track with those four to five months that, but that brings him back anytime between late January and late February. Um, so he may miss half the season and he's just had a tough go, uh, especially considering that shooting was, is, is potentially his biggest weakness. And he's just had his, his cast taken off of, of that dominant right hand that he shoots with. And this is the second off season in a row that he has not really had a chance to, um, to develop his shot. Uh, so it's just kind of tough luck for him. Josh, I know that you were hoping for a lot from him this year. Yeah. I mean, I I'm still expecting him to play big minutes this year towards the end of the year. I think this is a weird year. Um, you know, we don't know if LeBron's going to start the season. Kemba Walker's not going to start the season. There's a lot of players around the NBA and a lot of teams around the NBA. that are kind of planning for a different, first month or two of the season compared to the end of the season. And, and it's almost as if things change so quickly in COVID times that you're, you know, you're okay with that now, you know, whereas before it's like, Oh, he's not going to be playing until January. And now it's like, yeah, I don't see that as a big problem anymore because things change so quickly anyway. Um, but once Romeo is ready, you know, I, I've got a, a micro and a macro view of this. The micro view is he's still going to play big minutes and we're still going to need him to unless Aaron Neesmith is just you know super dynamic right out of the gate. I'm not expecting that, though. I'm expecting Romeo to still be ahead of Neesmith in the depth chart, um, especially because of his ability on defense and his ability as a slasher. I think that he's going to provide offense off the bench, whether he can shoot the three you know above 33% or not. He's, he's going to be an integral part of the team. The macro view of this is, you know, we've talked in the past about Danny Ainge being really good at not uh, not paying players that are asking for too much or he knows that they're going to, you know, demand too much in their contracts in the offseason. Terry Rozier being a perfect example of that recently. And sometimes what the bumps that go along the road for players, if things, you know, prevent them from blowing up or reaching their potential – that does impact the Celtics' ability to retain them after, you know, a rookie contract for someone like Romeo Langford is up. You know, if he's if it takes him a while to develop, you know, fi- trying to find a silver lining here, I think that 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 is one of them. Is you know, we're going to have a guy who's really talented who maybe we'll get for a little bit less money than what he could get from another team. We will talk more about Romeo when we get to rotations. I do want to mention just around his health that aside from a more minor groin injury. All of his injuries have been related to his hand. So he should have not been slowed down too much in terms of conditioning uh, and core work, et cetera, legs. Um, So he should be able to come back a little bit faster as a result of that. But we have to get to the major injury news. Kemba Walker, he had a media session today. 
This brings us to a segment on the podcast that we like to call, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on this podcast. Can I give you guys a, a history of Kemba's left knee injuries and, and what what's happening now? Before you do, I mean, should we, should we consider relabeling this segment? Like, you know, the Adam, Adam Wario meter and you know, like we had the Hayward, Josh's Ooh. Hayward-o meter. <laughs> should yes. we, the Hayward should we, should we, hate meter. The, the, right. The, the Hayward hate meter last, last season. I feel like we're going to need the Walker, the Walker worry meter for Adam this season. Um, so on a, on a zero to 10, where are you, Adam? I'm, are we talking long term or short term? Because for me, the worry meter is long term. Long term here. I'm I'm an I'm an eight long term. Okay. All right. Well, so, yeah. Break, break down why eight. you're that worried. Okay. So January 2015, he tears his meniscus. He's got surgery on that left knee. May 2016, and then again May 2017, he has arthroscopic surgery also on that left knee. Uh, he had only missed six games, even though. He had three surgeries. He only missed six games in his last four years in Charlotte. We come into signing the contract with Boston. He goes and plays in the world championships summer before last season. It sounds like everybody around him and the team, including him, agree that it was too much for him. He comes into the last year, and you'll remember around uh, the All-Star break, uh, he notices soreness and swelling. And he has to have his knee drained and he has these injections of Synvisc to try and help. Um, And at this point, it starts to, uh, they start to identify that there is a problem with this knee um, and that it's, it's, it's not going away. So Corona hits, we get a four month break before the bubble. So he has time to rest, to strengthen, to not play basketball for four months, comes into the bubble. And now the team is is almost admitting maybe we rushed him back too much. And and he said today he has not been right uh, basically since before the bubble and that he's taking time now to rest. So if you read articles by doctors about these injuries and about the treatment that he received recently, the stem cell injection followed by a 12-week strengthening program, what it sounds like he has is one, a, a chronic issue either tendonitis or arthritis, osteoarthritis. And, and it, that is, sounds like a somewhat common thing for athletes to get with multiple uh, surgeries. And, and all of the treatment that he's been getting is to try and reduce swelling, reduce inflammation, and the stem cell injections that he got recently, the intention of that, even though Kemba doesn't know what it is, as he mentioned in his media uh, thing, but based on, on the research, it is to regenerate cartilage in his knee. Um, I'm not trying to say the sky is falling here. I'm not saying he's never going to play again or his career is over or anything like that. But when you come to his his timetable for return is January at some point. But as he said, I'm going to come back when I'm ready. He's really going to take his time and rest this time. Um, When you look at that timetable, that's a year that he's been dealing with this issue. What is becoming really clear is that this is going to be a management issue, that he's going to need to um, have load management. He's going to need to take days off. He's going to need minutes restrictions. And that this is going to, this, this, 
to me, it seems to have a likelihood that it's it's going to crop up from, from time to time. He's going to get swelling. He's going to have to have uh, more injections. This is He's going to have pain. Like This is going to be an issue that he manages. And for a little guard like him, whose game is built off of uh, uh, quick twitch movements, hard stopping, like he has a nasty step back, that is going to, and, and speed, his game is going to be impacted by this injury. And so I just don't see how he can be, how he can come back and be old Kemba consistently. So that is my well, concern. I get. I mean, I guess what, like, look, it's obviously not good news. <laughs> um, but I guess what, where I just kind of react differently is this was the question about signing him in the first place is he was in late twenties, right. Or early thirties. We signed him to a three year deal with the player option. Um, we can't call those four year deals anymore <laughs> here in Boston. Um, uh, and you know, he was, he's a little, he's a little guard that relies on quickness and, you know, that quick twitch athleticism and he's going into on the wrong, you know, on the, on the wrong side of 30. Um, and that's historically not a great, um, combination and, and injuries like this are, are a big reason why. So, um, you know, I think, I think we'll have to see it, it kind of is what it is. So I, I guess I just don't, I, I was trying to think I about just, this because, like, I don't get, I don't get that worried about something like this because it's, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> like, it just is what what it is, and the injury will heal how it heals, um, and hopefully that'll go well. And by contrast, I get infuriated by something like Shemi Ojale in the playoffs rotation because that's very controllable. <laughs> I just have to apologize to our listeners here for a minute that, you know, my two co-hosts are such Debbie or maybe I should call them Danny Downers. You know, we already saw this version of Kemba. This is the version of Kemba we saw in the bubble. You know, it wasn't old Kemba, but it's a pretty dynamic player. It's a low level all-star. Like I, you know, I was calling him a low level all-star. He's a low end guy, but he's, you know, still at the top of, of the list of guys you'd want. Is he worth a max? Maybe that's now debatable. You know, but we're going to now have this guy that we're paying max money to when we could have a different guy who's maybe a little bit more dynamic or, or a better player that, you know, you're like, you're always comfortable with certain guys getting the max. Like Tatum's a max player. We'll always think Tatum's a max player, I believe. Um, you know, and Kemba's just one of those guys kind of in that gay, Gordon Hayward category recently of, is he really a max guy? Like probably not, you know, and so, but, but this version of Kemba that we got in the bubble is going to help us win games and can help us win in the playoffs. Um, you know, the, the effect of his knee on his three point shooting is the thing that I worry about the most. Um, Cause I'm kind of okay with him being quickness, speed and agility wise, the, the type of Kemba we saw in the bubble, he was still quicker than most NBA guys. He was still elite in my opinion. Um, you know, but he's not a guy who's going to, take over games with his scoring, he's going to take over certain quarters with his scoring. Like we're, we're just going to need to count on him a little bit less and move him from the guy who, when we signed him was a legit number one or possibly number two option to now maybe he's more of a number three option. Um, 
and, and a number four on certain nights if we have another young guy step up. So I'm not worried. I don't want to... I don't want to uh, be too negative about this situation because the Kemba we have is still pretty good and he's playing, you know, he wants to play through pain. Um, when we were doing the load management with him and, and keeping him out of the lineup, uh, if I remember correctly, in the beginning of the playoffs, even, you know, he was itching to play and, and you, you know, in his media availability then he was talking about how it was really hard for him to to not be able to play or to watch from the sidelines or not be able to play the minutes that, he knows he he could, um, and it's you know he's one of those guys that load management is not in his DNA, and so he's going to play through pain when we really need him to, um, and I think he's going to play solid. That's right, and he definitely played through pain. He's a tough guy, and, and he's I think he's learning that there may be times when uh, taking his foot off the gas it makes more sense, like the start of the season. So I think he's waiting until he feels a hundred percent to come back with the idea that he's he'll then gut it out in the playoffs. Um, I, I think part of my reaction is that there's a little bit of disappointment. We just finished three years of overpaying a low level all-star or a, a solid contributor, paying them the max in Gordon Hayward and which was fine at the time because you didn't have Tatum and Brown on extensions. Well, now you do. Now you're paying them a lot of money also. And the fact that Kemba, if, if he is what you described, Josh, he's that he's overpaid then that is a challenge cap wise and and it's a disappointment um i don't but know that's if I that's fully, a that's an important reality because you know we're boston we're not charlotte you know or indiana where we got to like way overpay for for you know max max out guys who are not even all stars you know we're but we're not you know the the prime destinations with the weather and and everything that players want we're in the middle so even I think Danny knew that we were getting a low-level all-star when he signed and maxed out Horford. I mean, that's what Horford was. But he's doing that with guys who are super high character because he knows that team cohesion impacts winning in the playoffs. So, um, and, and I would even argue, I don't want to sit here and do it for too long because I know Mike is going to disagree, but I would argue that Gordon Hayward was a low-level all-star and Danny knew that when, when he came to Boston, uh, even before the traumatic injury. So um, I, I think that, it's okay, and we and we're choosing to do that. We would choose to do that again to max out a guy who's a low level all star because it's at least it's better than maxing out a guy who's not even an all star like other teams have to do. Well, no, I, dis- I disagree with you, know, Josh, about Kemba. I don't think Kemba is a low level all star anymore. I don't think Kemba makes another all star team. I would even say Marcus Smart has a better shot at making an all star team than Kemba. And what what the the Kemba that I saw in the playoffs, um, he he was not himself and. I, the speed that you describe, uh, to me, some of that was other teams assuming that he was the old Kemba. And he, I don't think he had the same burst. He's obviously still a contributor. He can score 20 points a night. But uh, a step and a half slower Kemba, um, it's a nice to have. And I will certainly take it on this team if I can be assured that he's going to stay on the floor. And part of what this injury means to me is that's not uh, a, a statement that I can make. I, I think he's going to miss a lot more games. I yeah, think we'll, I think that's we'll have the to day see. and age that we live in, though, with uh, load management is you got guys missing a lot of games and fans have to be OK with that. Even the NBA kind of has to be OK with it um, because, you know, the, the agents and the players are driving this load management thing. And and that's what it results in is players not seeing the floor like we want them to. And if it keeps them healthy enough to be able to see them in the playoffs, is it worth it? You know, and, and a lot of people are saying yes. 
Go ahead, Mike. I lost it. I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, don't I w- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say uh, earlier, though, Josh, in response to what you said, um, I kind of a question that I've I've been wondering. And, and again, you know, when we sign Kemba, I, lo- I like Kemba a lot and he's been awesome for the locker room and he was phenomenal at the start of the regular season last year. Um, and and have enjoyed having him. But knowing everything we know now, do you would you rather the Celtics today didn't go after Ken Kemba and still had Ga- Gordon Hayward, or be in the situation we are now? I'd rather be in the situation we're in now. I think we've gotten rid of, uh, I don't want to say dead, dead weight, um, but we didn't know what we were getting out of Gordon Hayward. I, I'm glad that we have a fresh start. We have more defined roles for the players that, that are on the team and they can look across the bench or across the floor and, and know what to expect from guys and, and people can fit into their roles perfectly now. When you had Gordon Hayward sometimes coming in and sometimes being the second or third option and then other nights he was just awful, you know, as a teammate, it's hard to play with that. It's hard to trust that or really have the right kind of flow. And, you know, now we've really put all of the pressure on Tatum and Brown, and they're going to have to have all of the spotlight on them in the playoffs. They're going to have to have a, a, a better poise and a championship level of ball movement when it really matters. And that's kind of what fell apart at the very end in the Heat series and and you know, part of the Toronto series too is at the end of games, we those guys weren't creating the type of shot selection flow and poise that we needed to be able to, to you know, win a championship. Um, and so it's really now all about maturity and kind of a change of identity a little bit. I, I, I like what we have going into the season. I'm not looking at this as like a doom and gloom thing about we lost Hayward, we lost Kemba for the beginning of the season, now Romeo is that like we could do that. I'm not, I don't actually see it that way. I don't either. I, I, but I think some of the things you're saying, I mean, I, you know, you and I have pretty different views of Gordon Hayward and his potential. I think I, I always felt like I didn't see the same dramatic need in last off season when Kyrie left, you know, I, I would have been comfortable going into the season with Kemba or not Kemba with Marcus smart as our starting point guard. Um, and, having our lineup built around smart Tatum Brown and Hayward uh, with Tice. And I, I think if that was a construction of our team, some of the role concerns that affected Hayward might not have been there. Um, and I think Hayward, uh, if, if healthy is probably a better player than Kemba Walker. So that that's really all I was asking, but I I'm not in a doom and gloom mode. I think, you know, it's a bummer that Kemba's hurt. I'm glad he's going to take his time. I think this stem stem cell therapy from what I've read has real, um, real positive outcomes as far as, uh, improving, you know, reducing, um, scar tissue, restoring cartilage, um, uh, positively impacting arthroarthritic uh, arthroarthritic conditions. So you know, I think there's a real chance that Kemba comes back looking a lot like the Kemba of old. Maybe not quite 100% of the way there, but I think he he really can strengthen that knee with with this type of treatment and get get pretty close. And I fully agree, Josh, with what you said about um, 
what this does as far as putting the bullseye in a positive way right on Tatum and Jalen and Smart. They're going to go out that first month of the season, and the way the team performs is on them. And they haven't fully had that. They've always had kind of a veteran binky, <laughs> whether it's Horford, whether it was uh, Kyrie, whether it was um, who, whoever. And now it's, you know, if the team struggles, that heat is going to go right to Tatum. Um, yeah. And I think that's and, really, really good for his development. And our lives as Celtics fans are going to be way more enjoyable if we don't, if we stop thinking about, you know, and hoping for old Tatum sorry, uh, old Kemba or old Gordon Hayward. You know, these guys who are really injured, let's not keep thinking about them getting back to what they were. Let's see what we have. What we have is a really good Kemba. He's not amazing Kemba. He's not maybe not all-star Kemba. But the one place that we can look at potential and maybe have a lot of hope is with these young guys who are legit studs and are growing in front of our eyes. And so I just think as Celtics fans, that's a better life to live. We spent the last couple of months since since they lost um, in the conference finals talking about what they would do this offseason in a way where we assumed that they were going to improve their team. We felt like they were a title contender last year and maybe a piece or two away. Um, this offseason did not go as planned, losing Hayward. Uh, we lost we lost Cantor. We lost Hayward. We lost Wanamaker. We brought in two rookies um, and uh, uh, Thompson and Teague. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody there who's no longer on the team. Um, but, uh, no, I mentioned him. So this roster appears set and, uh, we have 17 players, including the two ways with, with Taco and Tremont. Um, and I'm really curious, Mike, I know you wanted to talk about the rotations to start the season, given the injuries, but first I just want to ask you guys, assuming everybody on this roster is healthy and ready to go, Who's your starting five? And more importantly, who do you just completely trust coming off the bench in the rotation? Josh, I want to, let's start with you. Who do I completely trust coming off the bench right now? Yeah, I mean, I, can um, we all agree, I mean, uh, on the starting lineup? Is it is it Kemba, Smart, Jalen, Tatum, and Thompson? Assuming wait, wait, are we talking about starting lineup with Kemba healthy? Yeah, assuming everybody's healthy. Everybody's healthy. Our ideal starting lineup. Yeah, or finishing lineup, sure. I I think the finishing lineup is is with Tice, and the starting lineup is with Tristan Thompson, uh, because Thompson doesn't shoot free throws well. Obviously, if Tice fouls out or something, it's great to have Tristan Thompson finishing a game. But yeah, the the, the four stars on our team, Mr. Celtic, Marcus Smart, Kemba, Tatum, and Brown, along with one of those bigs. Mike? Um, I I mean, I think finishing games, depending on the circumstances, we could see a lot of different configurations. I think Grant Williams will be in the mix. I think our a really dynamic lineup is going to be something like what I hope we're starting while Kemba's hurt, which it would be Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams and either Tristan Thompson or Daniel Tice. I think that will be both defensive. I think that will be like a defensive juggernaut, either of those lineups. Um, extraordinarily switchable. Uh, basically no, no, no matchups you can pick on. And then with Tatum and um, Jalen, 
and Marcus Smart to a lesser degree. And if Grant Williams has continued to improve his shooting and <laughs> keep shooting the way he did in the playoffs uh, from outside, uh, that's going to be uh, uh, more than more than potent enough offensive lineup as well. Um, so I think we could see lineup that type of lineup close a lot of games, um, as well as kind of what you what you noted, Josh. Uh, as far as so, but but yes, I think the day one start or a healthy team starting lineup would be Kemba, Smart, Jalen, Jason, and I actually have no idea between Tice and Thompson. It'll probably be matchup dependent, depending so, on. I agree with you guys, and based on that, I trust one player off the bench, and that's whichever big is not starting between Thompson and Tice. And so, yeah, you, you guys are forgetting about Jeff Teague. I think a lot of people are expecting that he may start the season at the point guard position and Grant will come off the bench. Um, because of injury. With Kemba, yeah, with Kemba injured, a lot of people are assuming the, that you're going to put the veteran in there who's a, a pretty dynamic player at the position where the injury occurred instead of you know sliding everybody down, which, of course, Marcus Smart can play point guard and, and Grant can slide in there. But I, I mean... I almost think that's a bet, Mike. Like to actually start the season, I'll bet you that Jeff Teague starts instead of someone else at a, a forward position. No, I won't take that bet because I think you're probably right. I, I actually said this in in the Celtics Slack. Like the lineup I want to see is um, the one I said with the Tice yeah. or Thompson, Grant Williams, Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart. But I agree. I think. Teague is going to start where in in Kemba's spot in the other lineup that we just said. Uh, I think it's uh, but I hope I hope it's not the case because Teague is the only guy who can generate offense uh, that would be in our bench rotation when everyone's healthy. And so if we put him in the starting lineup, I don't know where we're getting bench offense. Uh, so I like the idea of even with the injury, um, or maybe especially with the injury, making sure that he's still coming off the bench. Uh, to so that we have someone who can do something on offense. All that said, Adam, I do trust Grant Williams. Um, I think I think he's going to be a really really solid rotation player for us this season. Um, I think he's so he'll you know, have he, growth. He'll not physical growth. He's not going to be taller. <laughs> his, game, but, his game will his, grow. Honestly, I think it's going to be more. His, I, I'm sure his game will grow. I think his opportunity will grow. I. I think we all felt like he should have been getting more minutes more regularly last season. Um, and I think he's going, I mean, there's no one in front of him now. <laughs> he's going to get opportunity. And I think he's, I, I trust him to perform, uh, you know, and impact the game in a positive way far more often than not. Um, I certainly trust Tice or Thompson. So that's, that's an eight man rotation. I, I trust. Um, Sorry. It's the big, it's Grant it's and who else? It's the big Grant and um, Teague. Yeah, I just, I, I am not as optimistic as you guys. I, I think, I, I don't, I mean, I would love it if, if Grant developed, but that was a very up and down season last year. Uh, he was 0 for 25 from three to start the year and then shot like 40% in the bubble. Uh, I, I love his intelligence. I think he is going to be the first young guy off the bench. I think Brad trusts him more than any other, but the reason is not because he's so trustworthy. It's because there isn't anybody else. Jeff Teague is a guy who like turned the ball over like 12% of his possessions last year. He's a low forties field goal shooter, a league average from three. 
Um, his game has been built on speed. Uh, I, I think he's solid. He's fine. Um, I think he's a de- decent Wanamaker replacement, but I'm not excited to when I see him come in the game. If I'm the other team, I'm not certainly not scared. And and those are the guys, Grant Williams and Teague, aside from the other big, that we trust the most. The this team is is full of young players that they are relying on to play really meaningful minutes. Guys like Robert Williams have to step up. Grant Williams has to step up. I mean, Danny Ainge is talking about this team like we didn't need another guard, another ball handler because we're stacked at that position. And like, I, apparently, he thinks Peyton Pritchard is going to be an impact player in the NBA. I, I just don't see that. And and what, so what is clear to me is that after talking about this team as adding one more piece to be a championship con- contender, this front office simply does not see them as a real title contender this year. This is a development year for those young players. I I don't. I think that's that could be true. I mean, and, and we will talk about this a, a little bit later, but I think this first month of the season, month month or two, is, is definitely an evaluative period for the front office. And they're yeah. going to see what they have with with the players that are there. And they're going to see who steps up. There's no doubt that people are going to be given much larger and more expanded opportunities than, they're, uh, than they have previously gotten. Um, or maybe that then their experience suggests that they they should get or at least would have gotten in years past uh, based on how the Celtics roster was constructed. And that includes, as I as Josh said earlier and I said earlier, um, Tatum and Brown, who are really going to be the guys uh, unequivocally without any any older veteran there to kind of, um, you know, co-pilot with them. So. Ainge is going to be watching and seeing does, you know, are, are we going to get out to a 15 and five start? Are we going to get out to a five and 15 start? I, I would say both directions are, are theoretically possible. We haven't, we don't know what this team is going to look like, uh, but I would, I would certainly lean more towards us being, you know, in like the maybe 12 and eight to 15 and five direction after, after our first 20 games. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll see. And based on how that early season goes, you know, if we're really, really competitive to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, we need a little bit more steadying presence. We have tools available like this traded player exception that, that everyone's talked about now. Everyone's a TPE expert, <laughs> um, but we have tools available to bring in uh, the type of piece that we need to, to round out a true contending roster. And if we're not pushing uh or competing at the that level then it's a then it becomes a development year evaluative is i think the right word to use i completely agree and josh i think you're right once romeo is healthy i think they're going to give him big minutes i think aaron neesmith is going to get a real opportunity to play big minutes especially early in the year again grant williams peyton pritchard robert williams even guys like carson edwards tremont waters taco fall I think are going to get more opportunity than they would have oh, had this God. team taken a different route. Oh God, you just you just reminded me that we're going to see a lot of Carson Edwards. That's oof. And we're going to see a lot of Carson. Please, please, please. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of Ojale, especially a lot of Ojale. Because he's the guy so that, listen, that guys. plays defense in the system. Ojale actually might start. Yep. Listen, there's there is a world 
and and there is a world where Shemi Ojale actually learns how to shoot threes at a respectable rate, you know, 37, 38%. That now becomes a player I can't hate any longer. I was going to say a useful player. I mean, he, <laughs> he, if, he can shoot, if he can learn to shoot threes, great. Carson Edwards is historically an amazing three-point shooter. There's a world in which that first season he came to the NBA and he just had, you know, the lights were too bright for him or something, you know, he, and he didn't feel comfortable. Like now all of a sudden he's back to being a guy who's, who's a knockdown three-point shooter that you can't leave open. I mean, the guys we've drafted are also knockdown three-point shooters. So there's a world in which like we're shooting a ton of threes and like the last piece of development for two of our bench guys who've been, in my opinion, pretty useless, Ojale and, and, uh, and uh, what's his name? Carson Edwards, um, you know, when they're actually helpful to us and, and hitting big shots for us. I think that it's going to be a really interesting season. We can't just go into the season thinking we know what we can expect out of Peyton Pritchard or we know what we can expect out of Carson Edwards. All these guys are going to get another shot and we're just going to have to wait and see. And there's a world in which it looks pretty good. That said, is it just, I mean, I expect more on day one from Peyton Pritchard than I do from Carson Edwards this year. It may or may yep. not, it's not rational necessarily, but I definitely, I, I, you know, I feel like from what I read and, and learned about Peyton Pritchard, like he's going to be able to contribute useful minutes on day one. He's not going to be like an all-star, but he's going to compete. He's going to be solid. He's going to probably make r- good decisions for rookie, uh, for a rookie. He's going to, you know, he's going to be able to be part of the rotation and, and contribute usefully. Um, I'm still not, you know, I have still haven't seen anything with Carson Edwards that leads me to believe that that's going to be true against, you know, real NBA talent. I would be surprised. So let me if, ask you. Hold, hold on. I would but, be surprised if Peyton Pritchard was a, a usable rotation player in the NBA. If he was just a G League player, that would be, um, uh, that would surprise me less. Like this, this guy was rated as like a late second round pick on most boards. It, it The pick doesn't make sense to me. So let me ask you guys this. Name the player off of the bench on last year's team who was a knockdown three-point shooter. There wasn't one. Exactly. Hayward. (laughs) So even him, when he was getting kicked out for an open shot, I was was not expecting that that was going to go in every time just because of the inconsistency of Gordon Hayward on the Celtics. I feel like now we're going to have two or three guys that we're going to be able to trust to be just a knockdown three-point shooter. And and for these drivers that we have and shot creators that we have, including even a Marcus Smart type who can get into the paint and, and facilitate for a kickout, we're now going to have some lethal shooters to kick out to, um, even if they're not good defenders or kind of scared rookies. Like that's a, a skill of strength for for some of them. And and we could list off Smith and Pritchard and Carson Edwards and Ojale and all our bench players, even Grant Williams, I guarantee two of those guys are going to be knockdown shooters, and that's two more than we had last year. I just don't know which two it's going to be. Josh, what if you had to guess the average age on this team, what would you say it is? 22. It's 24 and a half. This team has eight players out of 17 who are in their first or second year in the league. Only nine players have played more than two years in the league. And of those... There's a number of guys that have only been in the league three years, like Daniel Tice or uh, Jason Tatum. And it's like Brown and Smart or what, 
five and six. Like this is not, this is not a team full of vets. These, these are, most of these players are really unproven. And as you said, even when you had come in with a track record of shooting threes, like Carson Edwards, it doesn't mean you're, it's going to happen in the league. Yeah. But I think that happens way more often than what, what we Carson Edwards showed. I think it's rare that you have a guy who's a 40% above three point shooter, like Carson Edwards, who comes in and all of a sudden can't shoot that to me, that's very rare. You know, it's more, it's more often that you have a guy who comes in, who's still a good shooter and maybe even just as good a shooter in college. But now the defense is, is a glaring weakness where it wasn't in college. And you have other things that kind of pop out uh, about that player's games that make them less playable at this level. But shooting is usually something that transfers over more often than not. Yeah. My yeah issue, I mean, my issue with Carson long- was not that he couldn't shoot. Uh, Cause I think that is recoverable potentially. It was that he can't do anything else. You, you go, this guy's five ten, five eleven. Uh, I assume he can ball handle a little bit or run an offense and he can't do either. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And, and he didn't, he just didn't like, he didn't have, it didn't appear that he had the right type of athleticism or like fluidity in his movement to, to kind of get past people. Like he doesn't have a quick first step. He doesn't, you know, defensively, he's not very dynamic. Um, and I'm, you know, and I, I'm, I know I'm totally hypocritical about this because I'm generally against like small guys, except for Tremont Waters, who I have total, <laughs> <laughs> who I'm all in for. And all of my arguments about small guys uh, go away. Uh, and I, and I, I just, I only have eyes for you, Tremont. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, we'll like with for someone like Neesmith, we'll we'll need to see it, right? Especially after how Edwards does. But but I think, you know, when you look, there are people like what Jimmer Fredette or, or some guys that have yeah. were explosive shooters that clearly flamed out, and 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 then there are some like you know JJ Redick or Corver or um, Buddy Heald who who have totally not flamed out and and have evolved into excellent shooters in the NBA and and what it like so many things comes down to is, is do they, are they like obsessive about their, their craft and, and that do they have that work ethic and by all accounts, you know, and this is something the Celtics prioritize. They, they get workers. So I have optimism um, that Neesmith can, can become a really, really, really high performing three point shooter in the NBA. But I do think it's a lot to expect that that will happen his rookie year. Cause I don't, it didn't for Buddy Heald. It didn't for JJ Redick. You know, rookies are in the NBA are still rookies. I know I'm being pretty negative throughout this podcast, and you are. I, I ordered you a care package. It's on the way. <laughs> <laughs> you, Mike, you just mentioned I have optimism. I'm sure I'll come around with some optimism, and I certainly love watching a growing team, which this one is. But it's just hard to ignore that if Jeff Teague starts, the best player on the bench in terms of dribbling, decision making. Uh, passing, running on offense is the new assistant coach in Evan Turner. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, why I, I almost think it's indefensible for Jeff Teague to start. Because what what the heck are we putting out there on the bench then? I, do you, yeah, like what would we, <laughs> what would our rotation be if Jeff Teague starts? What starting lineup do you guys want to see? Um, I actually would like to see um, Grant Williams in. So you're saying with the injuries, right? With the injuries, yeah. With Kemba out, uh, assuming I, I think that Romeo there's a chance out. there's there's a chance that Daniel Tice starts 
at the beginning of the season um, because he knows the offense better. But I think Tristan Thompson is the starter on this team. Um, I think that's why they got him. And um, and by the way, I I listened to uh, Adam Taylor's podcast from yesterday. Uh, and as you guys know, he's been watching film. I think he watched every single defensive possession from Tristan Thompson and uh, reports that he is as switchable as Brad Stevens and, and you guys say. So I'm, I'm like so excited to come around on him. Um, whether he closes or not, Josh, he's, his, his shooting percentages fluctuate, but more recently he's been about a 60% the last two years. So I don't know if that's low enough to have a hack at Tristan that would make him unplayable at the end of games. But um, you know what else Brad Stevens said about Tristan Thompson? What? Because you guys mocked me for saying he's a slightly less bouncy version of Robert Williams, that he's a major rim threat. So I just want to, I just want to put that out there. He is a major threat at the rim. He plays above the rim. He is not like, he doesn't not jump, which is how you guys were. He's not Derek favors. He's he's not Ennis Cantor. He's He's definitely not Ennis Cantor. He he can rim run and he can get over the rim. He's a rim threat because the defender has to start setting up for a defensive rebounding position before the shot goes up. Uh, also because the defender is going to be so stretched out to the three-point line with him swishing them from out there. Okay, so one of the things... Oh, yeah, so you were you were asking about the, the lineup. I, I could see Grant Williams starting, um, and part of that is is to have him playing with, with a bunch of veterans, and then you bring Teague off the bench. I, I think they're going to stagger Brown and Tatum and Smart, I think Smart is should be a primary ball handler to start the year. But one of the things that you're going to need um, is both Brown and Tatum to really advance in their playmaking. And Tatum showed huge signs and progression last year of this. Um, but they're both going to need to create a lot for others to have a flow in the offense. Yeah, 100%. And Tatum highlighted it as one of the things that he's focused on working on in addition to extending his three-point range out to like 30 feet. Um, so that he can't be trapped uh, up up at the top of the key as easily. And he's also focused, says he's focused on finishing through contact, which uh, is frankly the only thing I care about with him. And I think you agree on that, Joe. Maybe not the only thing, but God, he needs to learn through contact. Um, but yeah, no, totally. I totally agree, Adam. And that's why I think it's so valuable that you know and and the the true silver lining of Kemba being injured is that the offense is going to flow through Tatum as much as anybody and force him to be a primary um creator and and kind of continue to evolve his game in that way the way he did through the playoffs and get more and more consistent more and more effective at at reading the defense and and hopefully eventually kind of growing to towards kind of where the truly elite um, wing wing kind of ball handlers like LeBron and, and uh, Luca are where they are manipulating the defense proactively. Um, I don't, I don't know that we'll get Tatum to be there this year, but that's the path we want him to be on. And, you know, Kemba Kemba being out for the first month gives him uh, some runway to, to get some really important and useful reps in that direction. I think there's a chance you could see Tice and Thompson starting together, depending on matchups too, in the regular season. Well, Kemba yeah, if we're out. playing Indiana and we have to match up against Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis in the front court. But other than that, why, when would we see a double post lineup? Then we agree. Okay. Let me ask, let me ask you guys um, uh, a different question. So 
it's just really interesting for me to see the team go to this evaluative youth development uh, when they're so we're so close to winning a championship last year. And when we don't want to relitigate the whole Gordon Hayward thing, but they have this TPE and there's a lot of fans talking about how are they going to use it? It does not sound like the team is going to use it anytime soon. The, um, the trade deadline would be the first time that they would, but it's likely to be saved until the off season. Um, and as we have had informal discussions about how we might see them using it, we've come up with a lot of win now players, but since that is not the direction this team is going, I'm just kind of curious about where you guys stand on this TPE at this point. Who, who do you think, um, what ki- type of a player, or if you have specific players, do you think that you could see this team using it on at the trade de- deadline or at the end of the season, assuming that we're following along with this um, somewhat youth development, longer term projection? Like this team, they've got Brown and Tatum for the next four years now. They, the the, the uh, window to win has been stretched out a little bit with Tatum signing his extension. Yeah. I, so I, there's. I, go ahead, Josh. Well, I was going to say there's a, a whole list of guys that you could look at that, you know, would be along the same timeline as Tatum or Brown. But I think it's actually more likely that we use it on, you know, a, another good veteran, you know, not not just a vet, not just an old guy, but someone who's actually going to contribute and potentially, you know, take time from other guys and, and make it competitive off the bench. Um, so I, I've got lists of those guys. Mike, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to I was just going to kind of reiterate what what I had said earlier. I I think I think so much of it is going to depend on how the first couple months of the season go. I I think if if we're in if our team as con, con, constructed has positioned itself and, you know, Kemba's come back healthy and he's performing well and and Tatum and Brown and Smart have stepped up to this kind of early challenge of playing with basically like everyone except for our bigs under 22 um and and we're you know out towards the front of the east and we're we're really looking like we could be a title contender um then i i think we could go for like an expiring you know uh contract vet that we feel fills a need um that is going to perform at a, at a high level in the playoffs or we could go for like two vets uh, that might be on short-term deals. Um, so like someone like LaMarcus Aldridge, who would basically use up the whole TPE or guys like uh, George Hill. And I don't, I don't even know who a, a good compliment there would be on the market off the top of my head, but um, we might go for two pieces to round out our rotation. That would be viable in the playoffs. But I think if, if we're not really in the mix, um, and and ten, there are kind of extended issues with Kemba. Then I would I would be shocked if we use this during the regular season. I would guess we explore every option in the off season, um, and we we figure out who you know we're going to use this year to figure out who the guys that we want to keep are and to move uh, to upgrade and and get the pieces we need around um, uh, Tatum and Brown. Okay, so let me ask this question then. How good do you see this team being? Where, where, How far do you think they go? 
Well, hang on a second. Uh, I want to just throw out a couple more names for this TPE situation. Well, the reason I think I'm it's... asking is that it doesn't doesn't make sense to get a veteran if they're not going to be that good. If you think they're actually going to be great, then like Josh, the only reason you would throw out these vet names is because you think this team is going to compete for a championship. Do you? I do. Yeah, I think this team is going to be just as good as they were last year. I think that that the you know we're losing talent, but we're offsetting that by defining roles, and that's going to impact team cohesion. Um, and we see throughout sports that teams that are that play more like a team that have more cohesion can beat more talent. And, you know, in any sport that we're proven that at, at lots of different levels. So, and I think that's true in the NBA as well. I, I think that you know that that's the reason that Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge are bringing back Semi Ojale against all of the fans' better wishes. It's about continuity and consistency and building, and you know. You can do that by, you know, signing a free agent who's an all-star who is is just going to come in and already knows how to play at an elite level, or you can do that by development. And and you know, this team has always had a development mindset since we traded the big three and got all those picks from Brooklyn. And even as we've won and gotten to conference finals, we've still continued to maintain that the best way to get to a championship if you're not going to buy one for one year like the Raptors is to develop and to see you know what your young guys turn into so and i think that you know it's been clear that the celtics brass want veterans and just because we got jeff teague and tristan thompson doesn't mean that we don't still need guys who are vets who who know what to do and know how to win when it really matters and teach these young guys you know and there's some impactful vets out there i think so when i look at I mean, are you ready for me to give my list here? Go if you need to. I I I I totally disagree. There's no way this team is going to be as good. So I'm I'm listening to your list like, okay, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but go on. Go, so yeah, who's on your list? We're going to need time to see if this if you're right or not. Right? Like for just, sure. That's what Mike said. We'll need to see the start of the season. We're also going to need to see the start of the season for some some key teams. Like I look around the forest and I'm looking for which are the next trees to fall. And I'm looking at like after the first 20 games, are, are they going to be ready to blow it up in Houston? You know, what's going to happen with Popovich and San Antonio? Um, what's going to happen with Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and their relationship and, and you know, that whole thing, which seems like they've just kind of swept it under the rug. Um, and and you know so there's like specific teams like that that i think a lot of guys are going to be available like if you like eric gordon i think he's a tease but if you like eric gordon you know he's a guy i think he's going to be available for this tpe situation i do not you know <laughs> that, he, has um, a te- he has a terrible contract I, i'm i'm okay with him as a player if he was like on a one-year deal but um not on uh, that contract so here's my list insane. right you you got you got guys on houston even i mean you know you'd have to split it up but even bringing in a guy like like Tyson Chandler, who's just been around forever and been on what? championship teams and and what? and is a locker room guy, along with a player who's actually going to contribute, like a PJ Tucker, I think that's a good situation for the Celtics to use this TPE on. Um, but there's guys that I like better than that. I think um, Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, we've talked on this podcast. I've shared my love for Demar Derozan, and I'm not sure how the fact that he's on the final year of his contract is would impact him as a a TPE trade mid-season. Um, but, you know, those two guys are going to impact our team right away if we bring on one of them uh, so from the Spurs. Just a, a real quick comment on 
the overarching question you just asked, Josh. I, I mean, my guess is that, so, you know, with TPEs, what it does is, right, it's a tool that lets you acquire guys when you don't otherwise have good salary matching. Um, getting a guy on an expiring contract midseason means that you can probably pay generally less to get that guy. Um, if the team thinks he, he's going to leave in free agency at the end of the season anyways, and you have that TPE. So you don't have to throw in salaries that will make and match, and you can mix the TPE right with like a couple of young players or a young player and a draft pick or whatever so that the compensation fair. So I, there, there's an argument that it's going to be more palatable for the Celtics to use the TPE to get someone like that, like an expiring deal in midseason, if we're positioned where that makes sense for from a contention competitiveness perspective. Um, there, there's an argument that that's going to make more sense for us or be more palatable for us than, um, you know, getting someone on a longer term deal that that might have more value to the, the team holding the contract, in which case we'd have to give up more actual assets to, to acquire the player. Yeah, so if you get a DeMar DeRozan on this team, like it's over. We're obviously a championship contending team. But, you know, Patty Mills is going to be available. Derek White is going to be available. Like if, if the Spurs go south and Popovich, you know, says he's going to retire, like that whole thing could be blown up. Um, you look at the, the Warriors situation. You know, as much as Draymond Green is, is like a fixture on that team and in that locker room, with the recent news of, of Clay Thompson and, and Draymond's decline at his salary, I think there's a world in which they move on from him and keep Clay and Steph, the Splash Brothers, with you know whatever young nucleus they're bringing in, um, or or retooling through you know reusing that that TPE or generating their own TPE that then they they can use on another player. Um, but there's like some some crystal ball moments I think throughout this beginning of the season where we're going to see like you know maybe Joe Ingles becomes available. He's he didn't play with the team in the bubble. Um, you know, for, for different reasons. But I, I have a theory just on an aside that NBA players just don't like Utah as much as a lot of other places. Like, I don't see players like having long, long careers in Utah. I don't see that as a destination people will stay. Um, and I saw, you know, even beloved Gordon Hayward left Utah. I don't see Donovan Mitchell um, staying there after, you know, even if he does sign a, a max or a super max contract, I think a couple of years into that, he's going to want out. You know, I just think that that Joe Ingles is a guy who could help our team. Um, I think Thaddeus Young is another guy who can help our team. But Blake Griffin is like the big name to me. I think that he could – I'm waiting for him to get moved. I think these other situations that I've talked about maybe will take a little bit of time. I feel like Blake Griffin's ready now. We just need to see, you know, five to ten games of him for, for him to be in trade rumors and for this TPE to be used on him, I think that that would be. I ideal. don't. I don't okay. think his. I think his salary is too large. We can't. Yeah. We can't get Blake Griffin into the TPE. Mike, remember when you said everybody's a TPE expert now? <laughs> Not true. <laughs> Not true. So this is my my job is to is to look at which trees are falling next to to throw some names out there for you guys. Your job is to let me know. That's not possible. <laughs> yeah, so Blake's Blake's not possible. He makes too much money uh, just to use the TPE at all. Um, DeMar DeRozan likely makes too much money for the team to trade for him. Even though he fits under the TPE, we would have to go over the luxury tax. And if we avoid the luxury tax this year, which I guarantee you this team will do, we would restart the clock on the repeater tax 
the ownership is going to want to do that, especially given the direction that they have signaled this team is going in this year. There is no reason to be a tax team. So you're basically looking at a guy who makes like 15 million or less to bring in. And some of the names that you mentioned, like Eric Gordon's got four more years on his contract, Josh. And he's, I think he's a tease as a player in general, but he's a sniper and, and, He's 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 on the list. You're gonna look at him. Yeah. No. The, the list I is not, not great. I mean, when you look at the list of of who I would call reasonable targets, which are who are I'm taking the the Ryan Bernardoni approach, where you're looking at players who make uh, who are are signed beyond this year, so that you are not creating another TPE, which is going to hard cap us again. Right. But you have that salary to trade, who can also help the team. Then it's it's a list of players that are either not that exciting uh, like Thaddeus Young or Seti Osman or that kind of a player um, who you wouldn't have to give up additional or many additional assets for. You might be able to just use the TPE on them or they're players like Aaron Gordon who would be exciting, but you're giving up other assets to get Aaron Gordon. And I don't think this team wants to unless there's some surprising mismatch in terms of how another team views a player that the Celtics have decided they don't want to keep anymore. Maybe, maybe what's really going to happen is there's going to be, you know, a, a spate of mysterious injuries afflicting the Celtics, and they're gonna they're gonna zag this year because of the loaded 2021 no. <laughs> draft class. I could totally see that. <laughs> and uh, you know, they're going with the youth movement. All of a sudden, we're down in the lottery. We end up with I don't know one of these guys, probably not Cade. Um, but you know, you put that There's guy eight of next them. to, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. In this draft alone, exactly. So, and, and know, then the following year, you've got four, four dimensional chess from Danny Ainge. <laughs> I mean, Josh, this Mike, George, George Mike, Mike, I'm, be... I'm so depressed that you just mentioned uh, that that Danny and and Brad would potentially tank this season. I but don't think like they some, would. <laughs> there's, but there's some like mad scientist, evil genius stuff going on there too. I think that that's a that's a a genius comment in, in its own right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> George Hill or PJ Tucker, those those guys would be a nice addition to a team that's trying to win. And uh, this team has so many young players, I just don't know that that makes sense. Uh, I, I think it's far more likely, honestly, that this TPE is used to take on a bad contract or two and additional assets that can then be used for another deal or to draft a player. Yeah, yeah, I we know how Danny possible. likes to. We know how Danny likes to make a deal to make a deal to make a deal, you know, and he's thinking moves ahead. Um, and and we do need some more first round draft picks in the next couple of drafts. So if even if even a late first round pick or a mid first round pick would be, I think, super valuable in these next couple of years. Uh, so if the TPE could be used on a mid first round pick in the next two years, would you guys rather have that, or would you rather have a player who's going to? you know, impact winning in the next couple of years, like a, like a Joe Ingles or a LaMarcus Aldridge or a DeMar DeRozan. I think it depends on how the first two months go. I think, I think it's more likely that I, I lean in the direction Adam is saying. I think it, it's more likely that this ends up being a development year. And it only in that we're not competing in the truest sense for a championship. I, you know, I think this, could be like a second round exit, maybe maybe Eastern Conference Final type of year. Um, you know, I we could be uh, not 
you know, with home court advantage in the playoffs, like we could be a five, six, seven seed in the East. I think those are all possible outcomes um, because our bench is quite thin because we don't know what we're going to get from Tatum, but uh, and Brown and, and smart where, where they're really truly carrying the team. But on the flip side, it, there's a realistic chance that Tatum and Brown just continue to evolve and grow as players. And they're ready to carry this team to, you know, on the pace of like a 50 win team. Um, at this point in their careers. And they're, they're going to be consistent enough and mature enough to do that and bring it game in, game out in a weird, crazy season where no fans are in the stadiums, where like the rotation is changing probably every three weeks because of COVID um, and, all, and all of that stuff. But so if if it's a, the, the former and it's a kind of a development year, then I'm totally on board with Danny using that TPE and kind of a, you know, just keep generating and upgrading the asset. So taking on a bad contract, that's, a, that's going to be move, movable in a year or two um, and get like a mid round, you know, a, a mid first round pick or a late first round pick and, and just build up the asset pool again so that you can in one or two years do what you need to do to put, you know, to get two really, really, really strong years before, the end of Tatum and Brown's contract to like go all in, all in for the, uh, for the championship. Um, but if we're, if we're like in a 50 to 55 win pace on at least, you know, if it were an 82 game season, whatever that converts to in this 72 game, um, then, then I think you use a TPE and you, you get players that can put you right in the mix this year. And the trade exception, you know, maybe it becomes more valuable next off season when 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 we've seen maybe the other trees that we didn't know were going to fall actually go down, and and the whole landscape's a little different as it always is in the NBA at the end of a new year. Um, you know, maybe that's the time when we can get some draft capital out of it or use it to get a player that's uh, more aligned with our our timeline of the young. Yeah, guys. I mean, like that Clippers team could completely fall apart. Yeah. Like yep. disastrously so that they, they could, that's not even a tree falling. That is like a, a forest imploding. <laughs> they, they've got, they have no first round draft picks forever after that, the trade, the Paul George trade and both Paul George and Kawhi are, have options after this season. And there's only been like negative news about the, how dysfunctional the chemistry was on that team last season um that could just go so south for that franchise so quickly and then you know we can get old friend marcus morris back (laughs) no thanks (laughs) the celtics went 48 and 24 in 72 games last year that's a 55 pace win uh win pace in a 82 game schedule i don't see them doing that well this year josh this is so obviously a developmental year um However, it's it's impossible to like. I would not I would not make a bet on that because who knows what's going to happen with COVID this yeah. year? You could have an outbreak and that could dramatically shift how a team's uh, does in, in the year. So, um, but but the idea that Tatum Brown Smart, you know, these younger leaders that we have, aren't ready to lead a team to a fifty win season in a normal eighty two game schedule, I think is ridiculous. I think the, that these guys are have shown that they can play at an elite level compared to the rest of the league and know how to win games. Um, you know, obviously we didn't see that in, in later rounds of the playoffs, 
But, you know, if you're just looking at win totals across the season, I see us winning a lot of games and being, I see us being just as good as last year, if not slightly worse. But I don't see this like developmental year thing impacting our win totals. How could it not? How could it not if because you're playing I think, 22-year-olds big minutes and they're not named Jason Tatum? Because I think I think you end up winning games and then you end up losing in the playoffs in that situation, very similar to what happened last year. Don't young, you know, I think, don't young teams lose games in the regular season because they don't they can't finish. What are we? But what are we losing from last year? We're losing Brad Wanamaker. We're losing Gordon Hayward, who didn't play much anyway. You know, he was on and off. Like obviously, when we had Hayward, and he was he had like a seven or nine game period uh, right before he broke his hand when he was looking amazing, and now all of a sudden we're you know this team on paper that looks like looks amazing, but. I mean, it's not like we had him through through rounds of the playoffs, and we played really well. We know your Gordon Hayward hate was high last year. I thought he was a steadying force for this team, and and I think you had more Kemba Walker last year. Well, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he'll miss as many games this year. Um, I mean, I, I thought our be- our bench was weak last last year as well, uh, and needed improvement. And I think Danny admitted that uh, he didn't construct the team as well as he should have because he didn't realize that they were going to be as good as they were. I mean, Mike, if you are right and Tatum and Brown can lead this team to be a contender, wow. Holy I'm not crap. saying, I, I, I mean, that's not it, even me being if, right. That's just me being, that. I just said that's a possibility. Yeah. Like, if that, but it, yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that comes to Look, fruition, Adam, wow. Look at it this way. The GM just told you he's he, he was surprised by the development of the players last year and how many games they're we're able to win and how good we we were so why would you not expect that that's going to continue when it's the same young guys on the team i did now a year older i completely expected it to continue and as a result i expected them to bolster that the roster in the way that danny said that he should have last year i expected them to go out and sign more veterans more players that would help them win now and instead they've doubled down on playing the youth and that and that's included even in minor details like um, like retaining Shemi Ojale, picking up his option, who we can all agree they can they can find somebody better for the vet minimum. It's like the fact that they are holding on to Javante Green, whose contract is not um, uh, is uh, what do you call it? Uh, not guaranteed. Yeah, until February. They could just they could release him tomorrow and not pay him. That's a roster spot. There were players on the market who they could have signed that would have helped them win now, who would have bolstered their bench, provided scoring on the wing, uh, steadying forces, players who could step in and contribute while while they start the year with injuries. They didn't choose to do that. They went the other direction. And in all of Danny's comments yesterday, uh, he was saying that we like our team. We like every player on our team. We think we're deep at the point guard position, et cetera. Okay. Anything else or should I move on to a story from Celtics history? Let's do it. So this we're bringing this back. I had uh, done a couple of these during the, um, the I want to say the off season, but uh, in the, the time between when the season uh, got cut short and the bubble. So we talked about how Clifford Ray saved a Dolphins life. We talked about how the 60s Celtics made Jerry West want to quit basketball. We talked about how Tony Lavelli signed with the Celtics to play halftime uh, concerts with his accordion and may have even saved the Celtics. This time, it's not actually 
a story from Celtics history. It's a story from Celtics present. Uh, and it's a story about Tristan Thompson and his shooting. And despite his uh, his relationship status with Kardashian, the Kardashian family, I think the most interesting thing about Tristan Thompson is the fact that he started playing basketball at age 12 and learned to shoot left-handed and came into the league shooting both jump shots and free throws left-handed um, and switched his hand after his second season. So I want to tell you guys about this because it's really interesting in, in terms of his shooting percentages and what he brings to the table for the Celtics this year. So nice. Tom Thompson is ambidextrous by nature. He writes with his left hand, but he brushes his teeth and throws a baseball with his right. And while there've been many NBA players who are ambidextrous like Kobe and Kyrie and a number who have shot with a different hand than they write with like Larry Bird and LeBron who both write lefty, but shoot righty. Um, and then there's been other players like Ben Simmons, who some media members like Kevin O'Connor have been begging him to switch to uh, his shooting hand from the left to the right. Uh, since he is right-handed, Simmons is when he writes and eats and throws baseballs and full court passes and shoots the vast majority and, of his non-jumpers already. Go yeah, on. Shoots all his layups. Yeah. Only one player in NBA history, according to most people, including Bob Ryan, uh, it's, it's unconfirmed, but I can't find a story of anybody switching hands. Uh, only one player has actually switched hands, the hand w- with which he shoots his free throws and jump shots during his NBA career. And that is Tristan Thompson. He's kind of like the the Greg Harris or Pat Venditti of of basketball, um, where he's switching hands, not during the game, but so obviously Thompson is not um, he's not switching hands during the game. But uh, and there's no advantage to that. But um, after his second NBA season at 22 years of age, Thompson switched from shooting jays and free throws left handed to right hand. Um, this. Canadian, also now American, he worked with Dave Love, who was a disciple of famed Spurs shooting coach Chip England, um, who was hired by the Cavs and who actually traveled with Thompson that summer while he played for the Canadian national team. So he practiced a lot then and went into his third season shooting right-handed. And But the idea came about over a year earlier when he got compliments while he was messing around shooting with his right hand. Um, and he actually got a ball boy to record him shooting 100 jumpers with his left and 100 with his right. And in his words, he was significantly better with my right hand. There was just a better flow to it with my right hand. It looked smoother. And the move um, does not seem to have had an, any notable effect on his game from a statistical standpoint, except for his free throw shooting. Over his first two years, he shot 59% left-handed. Um, uh, it was 55 and 61% in his first two years, which was the fourth worst in the league with that volume. Only Dwight Howard, Omer Asik, and Josh Smith were worse. And then in year three, after going to the right hand, he shot 69% uh, with an increase in attempts. So it was a really strong sample size. Uh, so apparently he made the right decision. However, that 69% free throw shooting was the highest percentage he would have in his whole career. They went downhill from there, culminating in a below 50% free throw season in 2016 to 2017 when teams started implementing the hack at Tristan strategy that, as Josh said, uh, makes him less playable at the end of games. Uh, He had Kyle Korver as a teammate at that time who helped him with his shot. Um, And as Tristan said, I think I just got back to the basics um, and had to stick with my routine and follow through with it. 
um, basically to just stay, do the same thing every time he shoots. Uh, he said, for me, you know, I'm just going to keep working. Uh, so he improved. He got back up to 54% the next year, 64 in 1819 and 62% last year. Um, but, uh, and, and as Mike has said, he's now started practicing shooting three pointers with his right hand. Um, so after switching from his left hand to his right hand, he has only shot 3% better with the right hand than left hand. Uh, and he's, as I mentioned, he never came close to that 69% in the first year he did it. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting to see how his percentage shot up and then went way down lower than even before that. And it's, it's kind of like he's learning, still learning how to shoot and 12 years old is not early to start playing ball. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating to see how he's still developing his shot And, and Mike taking 23 threes last year and shooting a high percentage. It's a small sample size, but, it, but maybe he is developing still. It seems like he's got a lot of growth to his shot. Uh, so uh, despite his effort to shoot ef- effectively with his right and, and extend his, his range, I don't see him as a good jump shooter by any reasonable metric. Uh, and the traditional statistical predictors of success, <laughs> like free throw shooting, they just don't bear that out. Um, so that's why I went with the bet that I did at the beginning of this podcast, but I think it's a neat story and an impressive indicator of Thompson's willingness to embrace change and and work really hard. Yeah. Just imagine for a second, you know, all of us, we grow up, we decide which hand we like to eat with and hold a spoon with when we're a little baby, you know, and then in school we decide what we're going to write. You know, most of us are righties. But at least, you know, the vast majority of us, at least we know what handed we are. We know we're either a righty or a lefty. This guy doesn't even know what he is, right? So just from the perspective of growing up and being a little kid and you can do it either way and yeah, either way, it's not a big deal. I can do it either way. Like, and I feel like that's, that's like what this story shows is that that attitude still exists in him today. Like, yeah, I can shoot righty or I can shoot lefty. But what we know is he's not that great at either. Right. But just, I just think it's that great job, Adam. I think it's really fascinating, you know, to, to see what, it, what you end up being like when, you know, as a professional athlete, when you're like, yeah, I could do either way. You know, so I don't really know which hand I am. You know, that's, that's a, it's that type of work ethic though. That's going to get him dropping those 50 something threes over the course of the season. Hey. It's going to be, going to be chucking them up. Uh, All right. knocking, you know, maybe, maybe five of them down. <laughs> we'll be watching those, those three point numbers and, uh, we'll be reporting back to everybody. If you listened this long, follow us on Twitter, Celtics pride podcast, follow Mike Minkoff, Josh Celtics pride pod. <laughs> yeah. You can find us on Twitter. <laughs> Rate review, subscribe. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>